Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I love how the internet tries to trick me into buying things, and it thinks I'm really, really dumb. The the internet's is. Yeah. Give me an example. I, I mean, I'm so, not I'm not arguing with you. Well, you know how you and I both constantly troll like those garbage websites that are half ads, yeah. and they try to personalize them so it's all like uh, this local town person to you, one uh, thousands, and this is how you know, and you're supposed to click on it, and you know, this person from yeah. this town doesn't believe that just a lemon a day can do amazing things, you know, and it's like what the. <laughs> But it's always the same two towns. I've noticed that, too. Same two towns close to us. Yes. Uh, Levant. Levant. <laughs> yes. And uh, I, get, I get East Corinth a lot. I get East Corinth, too. Which is amazing because one of the ads that I saw said, learn about this billionaire tech firm in East Corinth. And I'm thinking, <laughs> no. East Corinth... East they don't have a grocery store. No, they have a Duncan and they have a lumber planing mill. Yeah, it's a lovely little town. It's actually more of a hamlet. And I doubt very much that there's a billionaire tech company there. Mm. Um, gas station, yes. Absolutely. Yes, they got that going for them. I will say that's one of the first gas stations that I ever encountered that I could put dollar bills in the gas machine. And I was like, this is genius. I am here for it. Welcome to the century that we're in. The new millennium. Yep. We're in it. We're in it. Putting these dollars in. Right in the gas machine. Loved it. <laughs> I love how you call It's okay for you to call it a gas machine. Yeah. But I say ATM machine. Right. And you, you criticize me because it's redundant. Although somebody sent us a photo of a sign it was directions on how to get to the, and it said right on it, ATM machine. So that sign is also redundant. Like it doesn't make it. There are lots of signs that are dumb. Uh, that okay. doesn't right. mean anything. Nothing redundant about gas machine. It's the machine where you get your gas. Listen, I don't want to argue gas machine vending semantics. It's not important. What is important <laughs> is what 
you got for me? What what you what what you what you got for me? What 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 what, what you got for me? I want to talk about ancient Chinese weapons. Ancient Chinese weapons. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Let's do it. I just made it kind of like a 1980s sitcom intro or, in my head. Or like one of those early Saturday morning educational things that would run between cartoons. Oh, sure. Like, I'm just a Bill. I'm only right, a Bill. Right. You know, like uh, Grammar Rock or... Schoolhouse Rock? Well, there were two. There yeah. was a Grammar Rock? I think so, yeah. I didn't know that. Let me just double check to make sure before I embarrass myself yet again. i never seen Grammar Rock. <laughs> Get it? Mm-hmm. Grammar Rock was part of Schoolhouse Rock. So there you go. Oh, okay. And I remember it had an old grandmother, cartoon grandmother in a rocking chair. Oh, Grammar. Grammar Rock. <laughs> Grammar Rock. <laughs> oh. <clears throat> anyway, Chinese weapons. Yeah. From the old days. So you know how I like weapons. Yes. I- <laughs> yes, you you do. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I was reading about uh, one of these things in particular, and I was blown away <laughs> uh, at how early it was actually invented. And I started kind of diving into it, and some of these, I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start, okay. and then, yeah. and then we'll like we'll whoa, we'll whoa together. Sounds good. And then, and then you'll whoa, and I'll whoa. I like it when we whoa together. Oh yeah, mutual whoaing. So, the flamethrower. Yeah. What? So, there was an ancient Chinese weapon that was essentially a flamethrower. What it year was, was this? I'm, I'm getting to it. It was called the Fierce Fire Oil Cabinet, and it was a double piston pump flamethrower, first recorded to have been used in... 919 CE in China. Good God. During the Five Dynasties and the Ten Kingdoms period. Ancient Chinese flamethrower. So it was an incendiary pump mechanism that was derived from the earlier use of a similar device by the Greeks. I guess competition in ancient war innovation was pretty fierce, which makes a lot of sense because it's not just that you want to be good at using the weapons. You want to be the first known to be developing these weapons. Some things never change. Indeed. This is thought to be the first true flamethrower because it offered constant fire. So there was a double action piston, which I still don't know what that means, and it was controlled by a handle on the back of what looks to be a chest of fire juice. (laughs) And the the pump on the back was pushed and pulled, and that would force the flammable liquid through the front barrel. I think that's what they mean by the term double piston, the push and the pull. Is that? mechanism yes ah. i believe so so it's kind of like a like a cedar chest of fiery death and the effect was incredible because it wasn't just like shooting fire and then stopping fire it was a constant stream of fiery murder at <laughs> at your faces and it that sounds terrifying no it does not sound fun at all to me yeah, because you're, you're like literally up against a crossbow, and then you've got a flamethrower. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you imagine what was going on in the opposing army's mind the first time they saw this? Mm. What, they're throwing fire our way. Right. Dragon? Question Maybe. Mark? Yeah, could be. I don't know. Um, also, uh-huh, the first Chinese landmine 
was produced during the Song Dynasty. Song Dynasty sounds like a musical competition on a major network. I was going to say it sounds like a musical compilation from the <laughs> 1970s. Song Dynasty. Song Dynasty. All your favorite. From KTEL. I heard my mom cry. It's Song Dynasty. I heard a pray the night Chicago 22 died. original hits. Ride, 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 hitching a ride. $7.99 for album, $8.99 for 8-track tape or cassette. <laughs> Order now. Why do you build me? up <laughs> banjo just threw up on my foot thank so. you for joining in yeah. buddy well done banjo. Your song stress anyway song dynasty um that was about 1130 it was made of iron it was basically wow. gunpowder in iron and of course the chinese they invented gunpowder yeah. right? yeah so so and they were way ahead of the curve there was a very famous landmine battle which occurred in the year 1400 when the uh, government army tried to crack down the rebel force of prince yan who later became an emperor <gasps> The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Wow, you are making some dreams come true today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The iron container was basically filled with a gunpowder, and that was covered with small stones and some sand to fill the gaps. The container was on the surface of the ground, but it was about the 16th century that they were able to bury the landmines. Well, I imagine initially you wouldn't have to bury it because nobody knew what it was. That's a great point. What they should have done to enhance the whole thing is figure out a way to light a small fire on top of it Mm -hmm. so that the enemy soldiers would come and stamp it out and blow themselves up. It's the flaming bag of dog shit technology. (laughs) It's very smart. And then there was a multiple rocket launcher, (laughs) which was developed in the 15th century. um, And it was based on a Korean weapon called the Huacha. It literally means fire cart. The the earliest version of this fired one or two hundred rocket-powered arrows, while the, the newer version, the Chinese version, fired several dozen iron-headed irons oh or God. bolts out of gun barrels. Oh, my God. So the trajectory of these projectiles, it was fairly flat, so they had to um, fire the weapon at an elevation of, like, 45 degrees to maximize the range. And how about some ancient Chinese chemical warfare? The Chinese used gas bombs consisting of gunpowder mixed with various poisons. They would wrap them up in hemp and another material called moxa, which I don't I don't know what that is. Uh, but they were used basically as defensive weapons. They were said to cause great discomfort in the enemy, offering such delightful side effects as bleeding from the mouth and oh nose. Oh, God. It's like mustard gas. They, they could use other poisons uh, or lime was used sometimes, mm. which can you imagine, like, breathing in... No. And... Uh, also, excrement sometimes was used um, because that's unpleasant. They they pelted their enemies with poo. Yeah, that yeah. that I'm sure goes back way before the Song Dynasty. It's that's very probably Ice Age. <laughs> it to me makes me think of Holy Grail. Obviously, <laughs> well, everything makes you. <laughs> Think of Holy Grail. That's not a. That's not an unfair point. Mm-hmm. The point of using shit was that it's noxious and also it, it gets in your eyes. It mm-hmm. can be very unpleasant to have human feces in your eyeball holes. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
Let's talk about siege towers, though. So siege towers have been around for a long time. They've been used in China since the 6th century BCE. Now, the oldest known siege towers were used by the armies of the Neo-Assyrian Empire in the 9th century BCE, which is nutso. Um, But the Chinese really kind of made it their own. They were often called overlook carts um, or assault carts or sometimes a combination of the two. Not in English, though, obviously. Uh, They were about five stories tall and they had axles with wheels on each side. And it was anywhere from two to four wheels, depending on the size of the the siege tower. Five Five stories on wheels on wheels. It's made of wood And then they have the sides protected with layers of cowhide. And then they had leather bags filled with water in case the enemy was like shooting fire at them. Then they would be able to like douse the fire. That's smart. Basically, the point of these siege towers was to protect assailants while approaching defensive walls. So they wanted to get to the fortification safely and have ladders or the ability to get up over the walls. But they didn't want to be unprotected while they're approaching the walls because obviously you're going to see them coming. And uh, and instead, you're seeing this giant building coming your way, <laughs> which has to be a little freaky deek. I would, I would think so. Yeah. Underneath, like at the bottom layer of this siege tower is people who are either pushing or they have oxen or horses in there pushing and and pulling the siege tower. Uh, But they're inside as well, you know, so that everyone's protected. So it just looks like this giant ancient transformer. (laughs) Kind of. Is coming towards you. A wood transformer. Exactly. (laughs) Optimus primed. Primed. Like you prime wood. Yeah. Optimus Primer. I'm. Yep. Anyway. Robots in disguise, okay. sweetie. <laughs> so, siege towers uh, did become vulnerable and obsolete with the development of like large cannons or the the instruments that could shoot like a bunch of fiery arrows all at once. I forget what that was called, but obviously that would provide issues as well for a giant fighting wooden building. <laughs> but it's still it's pretty neat. And I found an illustration of it and it looks amazing and I can't wait to share it because it's just like a little sketch of a bunch of people hunched on top of each other with their their little knives and their yeah. their weapons and weapons. They're they're just making their way mm-hmm. in their mobile wood fighting building. Optimus primed. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, those are some really neat ancient Chinese weapons that I found. Fantastic. And I am super excited to share more with you throughout the day. And, Here at the house. Yep. Okay. And then uh, into the wee hours of the morning. Okay. I mean, sweetie. Mm-hmm. Sweetie. Yeah. Do you want to hear about the rope arrow? <laughs> it's very similar to what you might think um, because it's an arrow connected to a rope so you can get it back. But you don't want to use a bow. Sweetie, you have to throw it. So you have talent. You have to be pretty talented to throw an arrow. But you get it back because of the rope. Sweetie, are you awake? <laughs> that's me right now. Um, anyway, yeah. No, that's that's that was all very interesting except that last part. 
<laughs> the rope arrow is very interesting. I thought you said row barrel, like wheelbarrow. Rope arrow. Okay, that's different. No. Yeah, no, I, I, I got that once you whispered the description. While I was trying to get my rest, <laughs> I might add. And now, that thing in the middle. On May 29th, 2007, a 29-year-old karaoke singer in the Philippines was shot dead by a security guard at a bar in San Mateo. The guard complained that the young man's rendition of My Way was way off-key, but the man refused to stop singing, prompting the guard to pull out a 38 caliber pistol and shoot the man dead. But this is not the only time people have been killed while singing My Way in the Philippines. In fact, between 2002 and 2012, 12 people have been killed while performing My Way. The Philippine newspapers call the phenomenon the My Way killings, and many karaoke bars have removed the song from their machines and prohibit the performance of it. While you've been sleeping, we've been slowly training your dog to ignore you in a few weeks, and you'll think it was something you did wrong. Just wanted to give you a heads up. This is The Box of Oddities. You hear Kat and I talk a lot about aura frames, and there's a reason for that. We live in Ecuador, and our family is all over the place. In fact, Kat right now is up visiting her mom, and when I say up, I mean Maine. We got her an aura frame so we could share photos and videos from any device, and they'll instantly appear on the frame, which makes it easy because she's getting up there in years. It's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app, and it's the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. It is the perfect gift for Mother's Day. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get 30% off free shipping and their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. 
On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to listen to the Box of Oddities ad-free? You cheap little shit. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got this message from Keisha on FB. Uh, Hey, Kat and Jethro, I'm somewhat new to the podcast. I discovered you guys last year, and I've been binge listening ever since. I wanted to drop you a note and say how much I appreciate you guys and and other nice things that she said. You always skip over that stuff. (laughs) I just listened to box 130, Mayonnaise is not the boss of me, and I legit snort laughed out loud (laughs) at work. Cat intentionally moving the mayo somewhere other than where it said to store it is absolutely something I would do. <laughs> Look, mayonnaise, you don't tell me what to do. I bought you your mind now, so I'll store you where I want. <laughs> <laughs> I can recall Kat saying in an early episode her birthday is November 6th, which is also my birthday. So maybe it's a quirky Scorpio thing. <laughs> maybe it is. It must be. I love it. You will not be domineered by condiments. <laughs> and I love that about you. Uh, I got a story for you. Okay. Yes, please. Yeah. It's about a guy named Witold Pilecki. Well, that sounds Polish. It, it is indeed. He actually was a Polish cavalry officer. He was an intelligence agent, a resistance leader, Mm -hmm. and a beast. This guy was something else. Early in World War II, he co-founded the secret Polish Army Resistance Movement. Ah, the the SPARM? SPARM? No, no, I'm pretty sure they didn't call it SPARM. Well, it's a lot easier than saying S-P-A-R-M. Yeah, I suppose it is. In 1931, he was mobilized as a cavalry platoon commander on the 26th of August. He was assigned to the 19th Infantry Division. Now, along with his military position, as I mentioned, he was involved in the uh, Polish resistance movement. SPARM, if you will. Uh, On November the 9th in 1940, uh, a plan was hatched by this group to infiltrate the Auschwitz death camp. Oh, The idea was a member of the resistance movement would voluntarily allow themselves to be captured by Nazis and taken into the death camp. (sighs) Pilecki volunteered to go. Holy shit. He, along with 2,000 other men, were arrested on September 19th, 1940. He used um, the identity documents of somebody whose name was Tomasz Serenfinski. Once captured and transported to Auschwitz, he was assigned prisoner number 4859. Now, he gets there, and he just kind of keeps his head down. He does what they tell him to do. Okay. Uh, And soon, he is kind of sort of uh, promoted, I don't know, uh, in, in in the autumn of 1941 to a special work duties platoon. Along with his duties was working in the camp bakery. Now, While he was a prisoner, he organized an underground military organization. And I can't begin to pronounce that either. So, um... It's like inside Sparm? Yes, kind of like that. There are three Polish words 
Uh, but they abbreviated the movement to the letters Z-O-W, so that's what I'm going to call it from now on. Yep. Z-O-W. Uh, part of its mission was to promote good morale within the camp among prisoners. Okay. They would try to keep their spirits up. I love and it. how important was that? I mean, if you've seen the movie Life is Beautiful, I, you I, know that it's everything. I couldn't help but think about that movie oh. while I was researching this topic. So... He worked hard to promote good morale with his fellow prisoners. He also set up intelligence networks, and he trained detachments in the hopes of taking over the camp in the event of a relief attack. If somebody came to liberate the camp, Mm -hmm. he had organized a militia, sort of, inside the camp that would assist them. They would spring into action if somebody came to liberate them and help, you know, liberate the camp. Perfect. He set up secret cells of ZOW people all over Auschwitz, and each cell had five members in it. Okay. Now, in addition to helping fellow prisoners prepare for escape and to keep their morale up, he also uh, would draft reports about the goings-on inside of Auschwitz. I'm sorry, how do I not know this story? I'm someone who has learned a lot about this exact this kind of thing. Yeah. So. How how do I not know the story? Well, a lot of people don't. So he would draft these reports, and then he would smuggle them out of camp to his home army headquarters. The very first one to be smuggled out was in October of 1940. Uh, he gave it to somebody who managed to escape the camp. Wow. In it, he described the ongoing extermination of inmates by brutal punishment and starvation. Uh, this report actually was used by the Polish army, the home army, in their report, the terror and lawlessness of occupiers. Many more reports over the next months were smuggled out by individuals who somehow managed to escape the camp. Wow. You don't hear about that much. No. One of the ideas presented in the report was that ZOW would stage an uprising from within the camp coordinated with an attack by the Polish army. He sent this out, his proposal out, uh, and he never heard anything back. Also included in these reports were photographs he was able to, to take of the horrors that were happening behind the walls and the barbed wire of Auschwitz. How? Well, he had worked himself into a position of privilege as a prisoner, as privileged as a prisoner could be at Auschwitz, and he somehow was able to uh, commandeer a, ca- a camera and would smuggle the film out. That's insane. In April of 1943, the night of the 26th, He was assigned once again to the camp bakery for the night shift. Now, this particular part of the bakery was located outside the walls of Auschwitz. He was given special privileges because of his behavior and whatever services he was able to to give the Nazis. Um, It was that night, along with two other prisoners, that they managed to pry open a metal door that contained them inside the building. They ambushed the SS guards and locked them in a woodshed. And then they cut the alarm wires before escaping east. Within hours, they crossed over into Poland. But unfortunately, at this point, it was Nazi-occupied Poland. Oh, jeez. In June of 1943, while he was in Poland, he created his first report on the internal workings of Auschwitz. And he, to preserve it, buried it at a farm where he was staying. 
Back in 1943 in Warsaw, he began preparing uh, what he called Witold's Report, or Report W. This was focused on the underground movement that was still operating within Auschwitz. When he left, he left people in control that were still feeding information out of the camp. The ZOW. The ZOW. It outlined three topics. ZOW's members, Plecky's experiences, and the extermination of prisoners. He was hoping to persuade his home army to liberate the camp prisoners. Again, they rejected this proposal. They were concerned about the uh, camp's resistance members that uh, they did not have basic fighting equipment or training that they needed and uh, essentially would fail before the liberation troops even got a foothold. Even if the initial attacks were successful, uh, they didn't have transport capabilities or shelter and supplies that uh, were required for these rescued inmates. So they they couldn't do anything. In August of 1944, the Warsaw Uprising broke out. Now remember, it's Nazi-occupied Poland. Plecki volunteered for service in the the home army um, as a common soldier, and he served shoulder to shoulder with other common soldiers, even though he had achieved the rank of captain. Uh, He never revealed his rank or true identity until many officers were killed in the very early days of the fighting. Once he did reveal his identity and rank, he assumed command. Unfortunately, the uprising failed. He was captured and taken prisoner by the Germans. But he survived. Wow. Until Poland and Warsaw was liberated. Oh, my goodness. In 1945. Well, the Germans were no longer in control of Poland, but Poland was now under control from communist Russia. Plecki continued to secretly gather intel and smuggle it to the Polish government in exile. Uh, In July of 46, his identity was uncovered by the Ministry of Public Security, and he was ordered to leave Poland, but he refused. In 1947, he was arrested by communist authorities. He was tortured. Even though the prime minister and the president issued pleas for his pardon, right? Pilecki was executed on May 25th, Jeez Louise. 1948. He reportedly said before his execution, quote, I've been trying to live my life so far that in the hour of my death, I would feel rather joy than fear. And he was executed. It wasn't until the 1990s that the depth of of Pilecki's story emerged from Polish archives. Wow. And this surprised everyone. Nobody knew anything about, well, very little about, certainly not the depth of his involvement until the 1990s. Everyone, including his elderly children. Whoa. They did not know. After his execution, he was buried in Pulaski Cemetery, but they don't know exactly where. Mm. Um, However, after the fall of communism, they did partly excavate the cemetery uh, in an effort to find his remains, but were unsuccessful. They erected a centitaph in his in his honor, which is an empty tomb or, you know, a memorial. In addition, a number of institutions, monuments and streets in Poland have been named after him. Yeah. In 1995, he was awarded the order of Polonia Restituta. And in 2006, the highest Polish decoration, the Order of the White Eagle. On September 6, 2013, he was promoted by the Minister of National Defense to Colonel. Witold Pilecki. I never heard of this guy. That is incredible. And the 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 fact that neither of us had heard of him and you love war. I don't love war. And I am... It, 
quite enthusiastically interested in this particular event. Um, and the fact that his his fight wasn't over when the war was over, no. that is so exhausting. What a way to end it and say, you know, as long as I lived my life the way that I mm-hmm. lived it, this is a joy for me. Like, whew, yeah, ah. I know, I know. He um, suffered under the oppression of the Nazis and then later mm-hmm. Soviet communism, always fighting for his government in exile. Wow. Quite a story. Indeed. Hey, quick reminder, if you don't have your tickets for the live stream event, Box of Oddities Freak Show, it's going to be the 17th of April. Tickets are on sale at theboxofoddities.com. And um, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm We're trying excited. to recreate as best we can the, the feel of one of our live shows. We'll see how that goes. Yeah. The thing that I'm jazzed about with this is that I am 100% excited about planning live shows, but I want to keep doing this too because oh, yeah. I think it's neat to kind of combine them. And that way, if you can't like leave your house mm-hmm. and join us in, let's say, Austin, I don't know, mm-hmm. then maybe you can join us for a looped event. I love it. It's going to be so much fun. Please join us, theboxofoddities.com, and click on the live link. And I'll put the direct link in our show notes, in our episode description. You can find it there. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts. love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course women who have been misrepresented through all time on who did what now the history podcast that's not your history class listen wherever you get your podcasts